I, I, I maybe I did play it just a little bit too much. Oh, Judas Priest! <laughs> you won't hear us playing Judas Priest, but you will be hearing an entertaining sports show with myself, Frank, and David the Man of God Harris on WSUT's After Further Review, airing Saturdays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. and throughout the week with our replay 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Toledo's only alternative in your on-campus radio station, 88.3 WXUT. We're back at it here on 88.3 WCTs after further review. Been a couple of weeks. It's been that quarantine time. The stay at home orders are kind of easing up a little bit as we kind of ease into the month of May. The month of April was long and stuck in the house and actually gonna have some good weather this uh going into to may uh later on it should be a little bit cooler but we're warming up here on 88.3 wxut's after further review make sure you always check us out basically on podcast now because we can't really get in the studio so you can check us out on soundcloud and on itunes make sure you subscribe to us on itunes and give us five stars and make sure you like know you like the show or not you know expand it to others we'll share it also on our twitter page afr sports show all of those platforms have a picture of frank vashner and the horse's head but we got david the man and got harris here on the phone lines along with frank vashner as we're in the home studios and uh we're talking a little bit about the nfl draft because really there's no live sport so First, guys, I want to ask you about the NFL draft. How did you like the actual virtual NFL draft? I thought it was actually pretty well done, given the circumstances. I mean, a lot of people probably worried about all these technical glitches that were going to happen, but if there were any, it wasn't really anything that big. I mean, some some of the stuff was kind of ridiculous, like the whole boo the commish commercial that Bud Light was doing or – Trying to get her Goodell doing like talking to the fans via Zoom was kind of corny, but I thought I thought it kind of helped provide everybody an escape from what's been going on in the world. Chance to see um, something sports related and see if their teams get some new talent in, and who knows how they reacted to it. I mean, I'll have my thought. I'll have my thoughts on the lines in a little bit, but David. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Similar. Kind of uh, going into it, everyone was warning about the technical glitches, whether there were going to be any kind of strong delays. I got kind of during the actual draft, for me, kind of having the fans in the side kind of still felt a little different and weird. And kind of like you had kind of this Zoom kind of box of like cheering people, but that was kind of like propped in rather than kind of the natural reaction, which I kind of understand. But then also for me, it's something that some of the personnel and executives really enjoyed is kind of having that kind of new different way of seeing the virtual war room, getting a chance to see the head coach, general manager kind of talking back and forth, kind of seeing those quote unquote home offices, probably not good for like home security purposes, but kind of in terms of like work logistics, I think it really worked out well. And it got a chance for us to kind of still have that feel of, you have the analysts talking about the picks, still have the same graphics in a way. But I know for the players, not being able to walk across the stage and shake the commissioner's hand and kind of the draft day, like sweating it out, 
kind of those kind of things I know some of the players and fans miss. But overall, I think it was a good concept, and I wouldn't be surprised if kind of they turn to that as kind of like an alternative option for other kinds of events that happens around the league. Well, next season they'll be in Cleveland. Downtown Cleveland, and they're going to go back to Vegas. As it was supposed to be in Vegas this year, but obviously because of the pandemic, they had to go virtual. I thought it was really well ran. Uh, people were worried about the technical difficulties, but I think you got to see another side of Roger Goodell, more of the human side of him being at home and relaxing and chilling and obviously doing his job as well. Um, there was also other funny moments as well with CD Lamb and him grabbing the phone when I guess his girlfriend or or whoever that is the groupie or lappy was trying to get the second phone and he had to give her the look. Um, some people were kind of complaining that it was a little tragic. It seemed like there was always a positive thing, and then it was like, and by the way, you know, his brother lost an arm in a sawmill accident. You know, it was just crazy stuff, or the mom was recovering from having cancer three times in a row. I mean, it it, it got to the point where um saw some of that stuff. But I, overall, I, I, I thought it was really, really good. I think the NFL draft is a little long, though. I mean, I mean, I hate to say it. I understand people want to get the, 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 the fix. But to me, after the third round, you know, who's really watching? I mean, what are the opportunities? I mean, there's some guys that will probably be able to make it. But usually it's more of the guys that are the free agent signings or the guys that make the team over the guys who get picked probably rounds four, five, six, and seven. You know, their possibilities of making the team are very slim. So, I kind of zone out after the third round. I mean, obviously you might get a Tom Brady here and there, but that's once every six years or something. And the Mr. Irrelevant I don't think has played longer than two seasons in the league, and that's usually the last pick of the draft. No Mr. Irrelevant's ever been even a pro bowler. Um, so for me, after the third round, I kind of zone out and go watch other stuff. Maybe, David, you sit there and – uh, Frank, you probably guys watch those um, basically irrelevant rounds. I'll admit that I did just because there was really not much else to do. <laughs> oh, okay, that's right, David. I mean, I'm I'm the football guy, so like as far like it's in order to have a properly winners or losers segment, and I mean one and two, it is like you said, kind of some of the stories are kind of those long shots, or even some of. Dare I say it's the non-Power 5 schools or kind of some of those deep-lying roster guys, those four-year guys at the bigger schools. Like, those are a chance for us to see, oh, I remember seeing that player play, or, oh, that's a really good story. Like, some of those, like, I think day three is a more localized, unless you're, like, day one, day two talented, you know that you're already going. We're looking for those diamonds in the rough, so, like, the players that we fell in love with as part of our alma maters or our own conferences and things like that. That that is true. Um if, if it's kinda it's kinda interesting though. I, I I thought that one thing that kind of obviously um got to me was the fact that the first three picks were Ohio State players, or the first one was a former Ohio State player. That tells you the type of talent that Urban Meyer was recruiting to Ohio State. Well, I also saw something else uh, from uh, the 2015 Ohio State team. There were 35 35 of those players from that team were drafted into the NFL. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's probably from like the 20, from like the 26, from the last, it's like all the last five drafts put together, 35 players. So that's, I mean, I, I mean, I know David will maintain that uh, 2000 Miami team had like the best draft class, but I, I mean, think that's universally pro- accepted. But. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, and I, and I'm not saying that Ohio state is, that is surpassed that, but I think that's probably as close as you're going to get to that. That for now. Can you say that the Ohio State should change its name to the NFL Factory? I wouldn't go that far yet, but I mean, at least they can they can use that, that, that to, as a selling point. Saying, "Hey, we got we've been putting guys into the league." So does that take can, yeah. does that take John Harbaugh off the hook? Think about it. Jay Patterson didn't even get drafted. And Ohio State's putting in all these NFL caliber players. I mean, Michigan is kind of playing at a disadvantage. I mean, that that is definitely something interesting that I've kind of heard about how there was 367 players from the NFL, what the NFL combine that ended up signing with an NFL team. And the only one that didn't was Shea Patterson. I, you can't help but wonder if that is an indictment on Harbaugh that, he can't seemingly develop his own quarterback. Well, hold on. He didn't start. He didn't, st- he didn't start at Michigan. Now, remember, he started at Ole Miss. Yeah, and he can't. Well, and of course, but I've also, but of course, there are those that say that Patterson can't take snaps under center. He's only a shotgun QB, but. But to That's be honest, like, Frank, but was he really that? There. Was he really that? He was good, not. That, no, 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 no. He was not that. He wasn't really that good. He yeah. was serviceable. Yeah, it's really all. It's really all he was. I think he, yeah, he came in. He came in with a hype machine, and I also think yeah. because he's a local here, he's a, a former Toledo, and I think there was in this area a little bit of hype for it. But it, in, in hindsight, if you, if you look at it, very serviceable quarterback, maybe a little bit of an upgrade. I wouldn't even say was he even an upgrade from Spates and O'Corn. I mean, uh, maybe I mean, maybe a little. I mean, I'll, I'll give him that he was probably an upgrade over John over a John O'Corn, but. That's like saying riding a bicycle is an upgrade over walking someplace. <laughs> you know, some, for some people it is. David, your your thoughts before we get into the teeth of the draft. Yeah, like kind of going into it, I kind of knew Shea Patterson probably wouldn't pan out. I mean, if you just look at some of the guys that are kind of the quote-unquote journeymen within this league, like Shea Patterson isn't even that. I mean – Maybe someone takes like a deep, deep flyer like before they call Tony Romo next year, where they give kind of someone, kind of a Kurt Warner call. Maybe they take a flyer on Shea Patterson, but yeah, kind of if you watch him in college, it was just so inconsistent. It was just like, like it's going to take a lot for him just to be able to get to the, okay, here's the playbook. Like, wow. you got to work on so much of the mechanics for Shea Patterson. And part of that is him. Part of that is, you know, kind of kind of the system that he was at in Michigan where he maybe didn't have enough training to be able to kind of overshadow some of that. But at the next level, they're going to tear apart all your mechanics and look at the very, very minute things. Like, that's the difference between, and we'll get to this later, why Justin Herbert went sixth and Jordan Love went 
to Green Bay at the end of the first round, even though everyone was saying Jordan Love and Justin Herbert were essentially the same guy. It's just which style do you prefer? Like, it's those little things that when at this next level make that big of a difference. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, you know, let's let's get into this, David. As we get into the NFL music here, as we get into the heart of the NFL draft. Uh, David, go ahead. All right, again, we'll start off with a quick one is the loser segment, and since I just mentioned him, let's get to the loser segment. Green Bay, what are you doing? Like, you're already ticking off a ticking time bomb, and someone who plays angry literally his entire career in Aaron Rodgers. You still don't give him any weapons, kind of in terms of wide receiving core. You give him a running back, which they have a pretty good running back situation. Primarily in Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, you can say is a good, solid number two. You don't need a running back. You need a wide receiver. Everyone and their mother knows Green Bay has you. Someone named me the wide. I'm like I'm the football guy, so I can at least name one. Alan Lazar, like, but name me the starting wide receiver core in Green Bay. Like, people in Green Bay can't even do it. So for them to go another draft, and then on top of that, draft the heir apparent for Aaron Rodgers in the first round, when we know that there's still a plethora of wide receivers that were top-quality first-round guys at the end of the first round, like, that just screams, like, incompetence. And there are reports coming out of Green Bay that says, you know, Matt LaFleur, it's kind of tired of Aaron Rodgers kind of quote-unquote antics and things like that. It's like, this is Aaron Bleep and Rodgers. Like, he has clout. He has respectability. You are a first-year coach. Like, you don't have any say in, like, you have a little bit of say, but over a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who might I add you, at least has a Super Bowl ring. With, like, with whatever you want to say about his weapons, he still has a ring right now. He's still the quote-unquote leader of that organization. But he hasn't won a ring in 10 years, David. And not to mention, as you know, the NFL is not really a player's league. It's an organizational league, and they'll let you know real quick who's running the show. So, I mean, you can't really get mad and upset about that. I mean, I understand some guys are are doing that, but it's been reported that they basically did this because they want to let them know that Aaron Rodgers is not running the show. Yeah, but but to not draft any weapons that can prolong – like, I feel like... Well, they haven't done it like, for 10 years, though. All their draft picks have been either on defense. When have they drafted an actual weapon for them? I mean, they've pretty much gotten some weapons out of free agency. Yeah, and, and I, I know, like, that's kind of the... Kind of, for me, like, the indictment of, like, Aaron Rodgers has made all these kind of day two, day three guys great, these free agents great, but he, and he's, hasn't, he's had, you know, this so far without these weapons... But last year, they got to the NFC Championship game with, you know, us out there, basically, at the wide receiver. And, like, if you want to get to the next level as an organization, wouldn't it behoove you to not shoot your, you know, shoot your nose to spite your face? Well, David, well, David I got a question for you. Since um, Packers took Jordan Love in the first round, how do you think it's going to be more or less than the next two seasons that – Rogers demand and the trade. Uh, I probably would. I probably would say about three seasons. Like I think this year is going to be like I'm going to do as much as I can to ball out and just you know 
a big middle finger to the organization if I'm Aaron Rodgers. I think after that, kind of if there are still no weapons outside of a running back that he has at his disposal, I think then we'll start to hear the rumors next season of, okay, is this time similar to kind of Tom Brady in New England, where he was just tired and he just wanted to get out. So I think that could be the situation. But I think for sure this year is going to be a proven year, and then it'll be interesting to see starting next year, kind of whether midseason or at the end of next season. But I think he still goes at least two seasons still in Green Bay. Well, then that's plenty of time to basically let Jordan Love then take over for him. I mean, this is no different than when they, they picked him to replace Brett Favre. I mean, we've seen this story before in the NFL. I mean, as a player, you have a shelf life. Obviously, the quarterback has a longer shelf life than some of the other positions, especially running back. But, I mean, I, I try to tell people all the time that you you can't be waiting around. No, it's 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 just not it's just not going to work. I mean, that's that just the, the, the fact of the matter. It's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah. And another team that drafted a quarterback that we're like, huh? Is Philadelphia, and I have them in losers section as well. Like you just paid Carson Wentz all this money. You're touting him as being okay. Yes. Like, people, I guess, forget that Nick Foles was the one that won Super Bowl MVP and Carson Wentz was hurt that season. But everyone's thinking of Carson Wentz as he can be our savior still, even though he has the injury problems, even though he's prone to this injury. And then you pay him all kinds of money, and then you basically say he's the guy. So, for me, drafting a quarterback in the second round in Jalen Hurts, who plays a completely different way than Carson Wentz, like, it's not as though you're drafting another kind of prototypical white quarterback that's going to be pocket with a little bit of mobility. Like, Jalen Hurts moves in a way that Carson doesn't. He plays differently than Carson. So I think now you're trying to – is there going to be a situation and some people are saying, oh, he's just going to be a goal line package quarterback or a special situation. Like, that doesn't work in this league. We tried that. Like, you you can't be a special quote-unquote quarter system quarterback. Like, I still get bleep about, you know, certain quarterback that got drafted by the Broncos. Like, that doesn't work in this league. <laughs> well, Dave, hey, David, well, here's, what, here's what I was going to say. This is what I've heard a lot of people talk about, too, is that the Eagles will use Jalen Hurts like the New Orleans Saints have used Taysom Hill. And Hill, and that's and that's kind of been somewhat effective at a minimum in New Orleans. So do you think that's a possibility as well? Well, yes or no. One, I, first thing, like, that's disrespectful to say Jalen Hurts and Taysom Hill in the same sense. Like, Taysom Hill at BYU did not throw, like, accurately as much as Jalen did. So I think kind of those comparisons are like a slap in the face to Jalen. But in terms of kind of the situational and usage, I can kind of see where kind of he's in for some quote-unquote packages, but again... That's going to get picked up by defensive coordinators easily. If they see Jalen Hurts out there, it's like, well, we know what's coming. Like, I think it's easier for him to be an assurance policy, like a backup, and then have Jalen Hurts kind of compete for the starting job and not see him as a kind of as an insurance policy, as a special situation, special this, that, or the other. Like he he's the quarterback. He should be coming in 
a challenge for the starting quarterback position, not kind of as a gimmick. And I think along that same line, like Philly has taken over kind of the Raiders' approach of, let's just get all the fast wide receivers and see if that helps. Like, the problem isn't fast wide receivers. The problem is, in Philadelphia, your receivers can't catch. Like, that's the problem. Like, they, everyone can run fast in this league. Like, hands is what you need as a wide receiver. So, for like, I understand you need it, obviously, to regroup and re, like, get some wide receivers. But you don't need small, fast wide receivers. You can't have it. This isn't Madden. Like, that, that doesn't work in the long run. Everyone can't run the slot. Everyone's not going to run the deep ball and show off, you know, their 4 2 four, four speed. Like, you have to be able to mix it up. So, but this is a little question. Isn't this the same way, though, with uh, Aaron Rodgers? You know, Wentz is kind of injury-prone. Foles ended up winning the Super Bowl, so it kind of proves to you that you kind of don't really need Wentz if you take you to the promised land. And you did go and now it is kind of stupid you went and bought all the money. Maybe there's something that the organization know that we don't know or something that they've seen or scouted on film that might say, uh, you know, maybe this isn't really the guy or he can only take us so far. Maybe they're bringing in Hurts to maybe give some competition so Wentz doesn't think this is a locked-up spot and then later on use Hurts as, you know, uh, some some trade bait. I mean, there could be a lot of reasons for it. It does kind of make sense, but at the same time, I'm not going to be fully on the Wentz uh, bandwagon thinking that uh, he, he's going to take the team to the promised land because, one, he's been injured and Foles has been able to do it in you know, he was somewhat mediocre this year. Yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of the way that a lot of people are looking at it. Kind of, this is Carson Wentz. Like, you got the money, not prove it. It's similar in a way to kind of what I see with the L.A. Rams with Jared Goff. Once he got his money, then he was like, oh, 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 that's not good. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see this season what happens in Philadelphia. Right. And it's, for me, the final loser is Houston because Bill O'Brien is just, like, a boob. Like, like, fam, like, like, I know we've ranted about Bill O'Brien, like, as management and ownership, and we've talked a little bit about kind of him before in terms of kind of quarantine and stuff. But it's also, like, really, dude? Like, you need so many pieces. And, it's, like, the whole situation, the entire offseason in Houston has just been one big question mark. And I'm like, what is happening, dude? Like, are you sure that you know what the bleak you're doing? I I, I, I have to agree with you on that, Dave, because they they were really they were in need of skill players. They go and let's see, the the only skill player they take is this Isaiah Coulter guy out of Rhode Island in the fifth round. But of course, they also traded away their best wide receiver and got. uh, banged up David Johnson in return, so I don't. I really don't know what Bill O'Brien is thinking. He's. I would just say he's power tripping. Yeah, it's just a bad situation. Like overall, it's just just highly unpleasant. And if I'm a Houston, I'm a Houston Texans fan. I'm just like this is going to be one long season. Like I wouldn't be surprised if. Houston is drafting in the top five next year just because of how inept and dysfunctional this poor organization is. So now switching over to some of the winners, 
start off with an organization that always knows what they're doing, and that's the New England Patriots. And you're probably wondering, well, they didn't, they didn't draft a quarterback. Where's the quarterback? Where's the heir apparent to Tom Brady? Like, first, like, I'm not worried because they'll find a way to take, you know, a, they could probably take Shea Patterson and make him, you know, at 9 and 7, 10 and 6 quarterback. That's just New England. But I think for me, the reason why I give New England a winner grade is because they recognize more than everyone else that while everyone else is shoring up the defensive or offensive side of the ball, getting all these weapons, getting all these kind of trying to keep up with the likes of Kansas City and Baltimore, New England's like, hey, we're trying to get back to that place. What do we need to get better? Let's shore up our defensive side of the ball. And so they spent their draft, like outside of a couple of tight ends, like shoring up the defensive side of the ball. So like it's a bold strategy that a lot of people overlooked. And it's like, hey, New England's doing what a lot of teams should be doing, which is recognizing that Kansas City is getting better offensively. Baltimore is getting better offensively. We need to get better defensively so that we can keep up with the sign of the times. And so I think in that sense, New England's kind of playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Okay. Now, David, I do have to ask you this. Before last Friday night when they took Kyle Duggar, did you know anything about Lenore Ryan University? I asked uh, several of my friends this, and the only one who responded to me was uh, Jason Mensing, the football coach and athletic director at Whiteford High School. So did you know about Lenore Ryan University before last week? Nothing University, but I heard the player as kind of one of those rising draft prospects that could okay. kind of surprise a team. Because especially like this year, like when you look at defense, like in the secondary – there weren't a whole lot of, like, superstar, like, can't-miss prospects kind of, like, overall. Like, we we know the names. Like, we know the Jeff Akuda, Like, like we – or Duca, sorry. Like, we know, like, Antoine Winfield Jr., which makes us all feel old as bleep. Um, but, like, like, if you look at, like, some of those kind of, like, position rankings, like, he was up there as one of those take a chance on him. He's a small, you know, small school – you really don't know much about him, but when you look at the tape, it's like, whoa, this guy can play. And it's another one of those situations that New England finds these small school kind of diamonds in the rough kind of players, players that no one thinks about, and it's like, oh, and turns them into gray. And I think he can really take the place of kind of how Patrick Chung was for so many years in New England. Like a former quarterback, uh, Julian Edelman, turned into a wide receiver. <laughs> I mean, Bingo. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you're right. He, he's always looking for that good talent. I mean, you got to give credit to Bill Belichick that he has an eye for talent. Yeah. Another team that has eye for talent and, you know, the bane of my existence, the Baltimore Ravens. Like, they just, like, they're the Alabama right now of the NFL. They just reload. It's like, hey, let's, let's get this running back, J.K. Dobbins, that everyone thinks that we don't, because we have, you know, pretty good running back room. Why not get, who a lot of people think is the best running back in the draft. And just a side note, like just because the running back is there doesn't mean that you actually need to get him. I'm talking to you Pittsburgh Steelers fans. We have James Conner. Like I want a guy that's proven rather than a guy that's going to be a rookie and, you know, all that stuff. But anyway, Baltimore is just kind of reloading, getting new weapons. And then, of course, because it's Baltimore, showing up the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Baltimore is just doing what New England's doing, just getting better finding those kind of pieces in the rough, uncut gems, Baltimore doing what Baltimore does. 
Yeah, I will. I will admit, David. I thought the Ravens stole J.K. Dobbins. I thought Dobbins was going to be gone before that. I, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about the Lions later. But when it was uh, the second round, I said I remember thinking the Lions got to get a running back here, and you got DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, or Jonathan Taylor. You got to come with at least one of those. So, and I was surprised Dobbins fell that far, but that's just going to make Baltimore's ground game more dangerous. And kind of add to what you said about defense. Justin Matabuke, who they got in the third round, I found I thought was a really good pick for them. And also Malik Harrison, linebacker from Ohio State. That's another Buckeye who went in the first couple of days. So I think I only have to agree with you that Baltimore was a winner. (laughs) Yeah, one one other winner real quick, the Minnesota Vikings. I feel like they had the most complete draft for me. I think they addressed needs on the defensive side of the ball, shoring up the secondary position and kind of their front seven. I think they addressed a big need. A lot of people were thinking, you know, trading away Stephon Diggs would, in a sense, kind of take them out of the consideration for the NFC. But I think kind of the way that they drafted the wide receiver position well, I think kind of they were already, for me, kind of the team to beat in the NFC more just because of the uncertainty with Green Bay. But I think this really solidifies them as a team to beat. I think the Vikings had, for me, a complete draft. And there's not really – like, you can kind of nitpick if you want to, but I think on the whole they had a magnificent draft. And you can't do anything but applaud Minnesota. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, especially taking Justin Jefferson to take the place of Stephon Diggs. And some of their defensive players they got, too. Jeff Gladney and Cam Dantzler, two corners they got in the first three rounds. James Lynch from Baylor, I thought I thought somebody would possibly go higher. So they got him to, uh, in their D-line room. And, of course, uh, another name that stands out to me is Kenny Willickis from Michigan State, who's a guy who was basically went from being a walk-on on, now gets to the league, and hopefully he can latch on there and continue to get better. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it for a quick winners and losers now thinking about you know, transitioning to our own teams. Uh, let's just get out of the way. Derek, what were your bear doing? Yeah, I don't I know. I, like I said, I... We all know where the really they need to improve at, but obviously the quarterback position. What's your thoughts, though? You're the football guy. And so, so for overall, I give their draft a C. It was just kind of you had like you had like limited picks anyways, just because you traded away so many picks previously in previous years. So you really didn't have much to work with, and I feel like. Like, I understand what you're kind of trying to do if you're the Bears, but you kind of get some tight ends that do you really need? I mean, I guess you need a weapon for Mr. Trubisky, but, eh, you still have some questions on the defensive side of the ball, primarily in the secondary. Uh, Like, I feel like this was one of those kind of, because you try to trade away so many draft picks in previous years to get the players that you have now, you kind of this is the sacrificing your future part in in terms of that sacrificing the future for the present moment kind of that. So it's like now you're really seeing like the cost of doing business 
when you trade away some of those pieces, when you think about, oh, trading away a future first-round pick or a future first and a second for this player or that player, like, now you're seeing, like, the effects of, like, when you do that too much, it hurts. And I, and I think the Bears, there's, there's going to be a lot of questions. And, again, thinking about this being the proving year for Mitchell Trubisky, like, like you got to play for shut-up, and you're not really giving them a whole lot of weapons to help with. I mean, I guess Allen Robinson is just going to have to have a Randy Moss-type season, like 1,600 yards and 19 touchdowns, just to, like, keep up. I don't know who else is going to get the target. Right. I mean, like I said, I, 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 I've been saying this the whole time. He's not the guy. And, you know, Nagy, he's, I think he's a great coach, but you, you can only do so much with Trubisky. I mean, they're going to bring in Foles. Uh, hopefully Foles can do something as well. But, you know, they got to fill up other pieces. Obviously you weren't going to really get uh, – at their, unless they traded up to to, or actually they didn't even have a first round pick. So I mean, unless they made some type of some type of deals, which nobody, who are they gonna really trade besides uh, Mac? <laughs> uh, you're kind of stuck because of that Trubisky deal, and, and like I said, it'll probably hurt the franchise in the long run. But I mean, what can you do? You're pretty much you're not going to get any young talent in the in the draft, so you're probably going to have to go through the free agent route if you want to build the team. But at the end of the day, you got a really solid defense. Um, you're adding a little bit more weapons, but the question is, can Trubisky get it to the weapons? And I, I, I think after this season, you'll find out. Um, but you know, in the sense though, every wasted year. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 taken away from maybe Mac and that defense because you can only you only have a good window for defense, and that's four or five years for a complete defensive unit. Now, obviously, you can have Mac and Erlacher and all the 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 name name of names at the linebacker position, but as a unit to actually sustain something great, you only have a three to four year window. And if they're wasting time with Trubisky, it's just a waste of time. Yeah, and so I want to pose a quick question to Frank. You weren't on the show when we kind of teased this question, but if you were the Bears, and I know Derek's response because we talked about it on the show, would you quote-unquote hashtag king for Trevor Lawrence next year? I would strongly consider it. Well, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. He could be getting injured, and people were saying tank for Tua, and then he had that that hip injury, and then look where he's at. I mean, so you 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 don't you go out and you be competitive. These are these are still professionals. You know, don't insult them. So you, if if you're losing, you're losing. But you don't go out there and try to purposely tank or as an organization just go out there. You know, make asinine trades or stuff that just depletes the football team. I mean, you, you have to have a professionalism. If you want your players to be professional, you be professional as an organization as well. You know, and, and let let the where the eggs may lay. You never know. Joe Joe Burrow was going to be last season was predicted as being a six round draft pick if he would have came out last season. Goes out has a bang buster year and he's the number one draft pick. So you don't know who's going to be coming out next year or if there even is a next year because of this pandemic. But then again, there's the story right there for you. Who no one at this time last season, if you would have said Joe Burrow was going to be the number one draft pick in the 2020 draft. You would have been laughed out the building. That is true. That is true. Yeah. 
speaking of those Cincinnati Bengals, a quote-unquote professional organization, I give them an A-. minus. I'm not going to give them an A-plus because, again, they're the Bengals, and it's this, you know, they're banking on this one glorious year of Joe Burr, and we all know how I feel about Joe Burr on this show. But they gave him a weapon in T. Higgins, who's a quality receiver. You still know about A.J. Green. Uh, you have other targets kind of there. Are they going to stay healthy? That's one thing. Now that Andy Dalton is gone, will Joe Burrow go kind of supplant him and replace him as a quarterback that's overthrowing his wide receivers? And then for me, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they did what they had to do. They shored up some pieces on the on the both offensive and defensive line, defensive line in particular. You get younger. Hopefully those pan out, but like everyone in Cincinnati is putting their eggs in. Joe Burrow is going to be the Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Tom Brady. He's going to be our quarterback for the next 15, 20 years. Whereas, you know, it's going to be wait and see. Because everyone's saying, you know, Joe Burrow is this quote-unquote winner. Like what happens when, and I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Cincinnati, like this one, it's one thing to get, like get SEC hits and be behind that SEC line. It's another thing to be behind a kind of okay offensive line and have big mother bleepers blitzing you like at least four times a season because we're going to blitz them and Baltimore is going to blitz them. So he's going to take some hits that he hasn't felt in a while. So it's going to really test that mental courage, that mental strength of Joe Burrow. To see how long he can last. Right now, what other now uh, other teams, David? Who else you got? You got Detroit and Pittsburgh. Yeah, we'll, we'll do Detroit. And I give them a B plus. Kind of for me, like it was a no brainer. Just take the star side of quarterbacks, and she kind of you know screwed over Darius Slay, and that's putting it lightly. Get the best quarterback in the draft. You get a running back who. I really hope can run for a thousand yards and not get hurt because there's a curse on running backs in that city and I really want him to do well. But other than that, it was kind of just kind of a solid draft. I mean, there really isn't like a whole bunch of holes. I mean, you could say, do you want to try to get the heir apparent and kind of similar to what Philadelphia did, kind of get a late round or not so much Philadelphia, but kind of think about some of these teams getting a, late quarterback just to kind of mold under Matt Stafford because now he's really injury prone. And so how much longer does he have in the tank? Maybe they'll address that this upcoming season or kind of with a trade. There's a couple, like I know this upcoming quarterback class is not going to be as deep, but maybe they take a flyer. But yeah, I'd give them a, I'd give them a B plus. I can agree. I can actually agree with that, David. I was, I was happy with the uh, pick of Jeff Okuda. Uh, the step basically take the place of Darius Slay, and I me- I had mentioned this already on day two. They had a third pick in round two. I said they had to get either or J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, or Jonathan Taylor. More so Swifter, more so Swifter Dobbins, and when they got Swift, I was I was ecstatic because you know, now you got him to compliment Carry On Johnson, and he can catch out of the backfield. Kind of can help the screen game a little bit more. All right, that's for some of their other picks. Julian O'Quara uh, kind of helps your pass rush. 
Uh, she'll see how that pans out. Uh, and then address then getting a couple of guards, Jonah Jackson, Logan Stenberg. I think one of that one of them could easily play right away. And then the rest of their picks basically just depth and compete for spots. I'm not sure if Quintus Cephas will fit in or not. Because I know he wasn't really that quick in a 40-yard dash. Jason Huntley could possibly see a role on special teams. And John Pensini, maybe he sees a spot on the D-line. And Jay Sean Cornell, kind of the same deal. So we'll we'll see what happens. But I I definitely agree. So I get I get a B plus. I mean, the Okuda pick, I think with Okuda and Swift were their best two picks. Yeah, and, and like, I, like I heard conversations about. Do they trade down from the three pick and get draft capital for like other years? I'm like, look, if you're the Detroit Lions, just go with the no brainer. Like, like there have been many a draft, and I know Frank, you're aware of this. Where we're just happy that they like have a passing grade because there's some questionable picks. So I think, especially since Max Patricia is supposed to be this defensive mastermind, sure up that defensive side of the ball because it's going to be an interesting division. It's going to be an interesting year because. There's a lot of pressure on him, because if he doesn't pan out, it may be calling for his head. Well, they don't... Well, they, well I'll put in that, Patricia, have basically been given a win-now edict, and if they don't win, I think they're probably both gone. Yeah. And then, finally, my pick for Steelers, I'm going to give them a B. Kind of... A lot of people are still upset that we went Chase Claypool... Over J.K. Dobbins, which again, like if you are so hype and so excited about James Conner, if you're so in James Conner, then why would you want his replacement? Like, yes, he's injury prone, but as we saw last year, we need a wide receiver a lot more. Like we thought, we saw Deontay Johnson. Shout out to T.O.L. E.D.L. But like, like he can't be the compliment all the time to Juju. Like we saw James Washington have this kind of ups and downs. Like. We still don't know what he's like. What his upside is going to be? He was supposed to be this playmaker, and I think now for Chase Claypool, who's a big-bodied weapon in a way that we really haven't seen since Martavis Bryant, since we haven't seen kind of kind of be that dominant as a, and physical as a wide receiver. He can really, if he can be physical in the short, that will allow Juju in a way to be able to do that deep ball, and knowing that Chase Claypool can complement in the deep ball as well. I mean, him paired with Ebron, who we got in free agency. Like, we have weapons now in a way that we haven't had in a season or two. Again, a lot of people are thinking about uh, Highsmith, the linebacker out of Charlotte. People are like, oh, that's another small school. It's like, if you look at where we're going to play him, he's a perfect fit at that linebacker position because he's exactly the kind of player that we need. And so... I think kind of the other piece is like you can see, like we got a, we kind of kind of got a quote unquote speedster, kind of in terms of the running back position. But like he's going to be a change of pace back. He's not going to be our everyday. James still is still going to be that. We saw Edmonds a little bit take a little bit of that. Like we can find running backs. Like, but like getting a high draft pick basically limits and handcuffs James Conner because now it's going to be now we have to kind of fight for touches. And kind of automatically say he's going to be the guy of the future. We got to give Dobbins his touches. We got to give Dobbins his touches. Like, no, let James Conner be the workhorse back. Like, we loved him when 
when we traded away Le'Veon. Now don't don't try to kind of you know the honeymoon season is all over and stuff like that. But I think the Steelers did what the Steelers do best: dress needs, kind of got a passing grade, and we'll we'll have our normal seven and you know nine and seven, ten and six record like normal, and everything will be back to normal. Mm-hmm. All right, fellas, we're gonna try to like wrap this segment up. Final thoughts from David and Frank. Uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see kind of some of those other kind of picks, the teams that picked in the top ten. What would they do now that it's a new era? We saw a lot of teams take quarterbacks. A lot of teams kind of find veteran quarterbacks, and it'll be interesting to see just how the season progresses whenever it starts because. Oh, boy. It's going to be a long road for some of these young bucks. Yeah, we'll see how a lot of these guys do, especially with the Lions. And I'm not really sure who's outside outside of probably from the fifth round on. I'm really not sure who. I don't think any, I don't know if any of those guys will have a regular role outside of Huntley. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, that is that is that is true. Well, fellas, we kind of enjoyed the draft, the virtual draft. Gave our thoughts on it about our teams, and uh, it went out, went off without a hitch, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it was the first time in months it's actually some live, uh, I guess, sporting event besides the last dance. And speaking of which, it'll be our next segment as we're going to talk a little bit about the last dance and uh, Frank and his conspiracy theories. Um, also, you talk a little bit about this new G League thing. I know David has his thoughts on it. Yeah, I think I, think I know what he's going to say about it, but we'll uh, let him preach a sermon. Yeah, that is true. He's always preaching a good <laughs> sermon. But, but once again, like I said, you can always listen to us on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Have us in your pockets. Either listen to us off the SoundCloud app. Or if you have an iPhone, just subscribe to us on After Further Review. Um, they can't really get in the studio because schools are all closed. And Governor DeWine has had the schools closed all the way through the month of May as well. So it'll be interesting. You know, I don't know when the next time we'll actually be in the studio. to will probably do a live show. We might have to do a live show from calling in and being at my house at the home studio. You might be able to see that, but that'll be later on. Anyway. We get into the last dance, and uh, fellas, is it uh, met your expectations? Uh, a little teaser from both of you. What do you guys think so far? I would say it's been uh, very well done, and it was pretty much uh, worth me spending 50 bucks to reactivate my YouTube TV subscription. <laughs> what about ESPN Plus? I mean, you could get it for five bucks. Well, that, well, I just, well, I activated YouTube TV just for other reasons too, because I was at, I was at home, I was at home a lot nursing a shoulder injury, so I just wanted something else to watch. And, and, and what? So that that that's just what I would say. Yeah, very enjoyable. Oh, okay, David. We are doing a lot of revisionist history through this last dance documentary. I totally bleed journalists. Uh, did you like it or not? Or No, I liked it. I just kind of, as we're watching The Last Dance, all these journalists that were there in the moment are rewriting the script like, Sam, like, you don't have to 
Like, you don't have to change the narrative. We know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. David thinks they're changing the narrative. Well, he'll get more in depth with that and more here on 88.3 WTs after further review. Like I said, check us out on SoundCloud and on Apple, iTunes, or the podcast. We'll be back after this. <laughs> 